Welcome to the We Like It On Top podcast. I'm Bill Goodgen. I'm the founder of We Like It On Top and your host. If you're not familiar with We Like It On Top, it's not just a podcast. What we offer is really community. We're everywhere you want us to be on social media with a plan to even offer uh, local outings. Um, we also offer education and training, guided adventures, and um, we have partnerships with outdoor retail partners. More to come on that. The best place to learn more about us is our website, uh, com. Hey, I'm super excited about our uh, episode today. Today's guest is Greg Sladen. Greg is the founder of peakbagger.com. Greg, welcome. How are you? Fine. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so I uh, may have this wrong, but I think this is actually your first podcast. Is that correct? That's correct. Absolutely. Yeah. It's uh, it's actually uh, pretty amazing to me, the number of users that you have on peakbagger.com that this is the first interview. So I'm pretty honored. Um, so Greg started uh, the peakbagger.com website really as a hobby in 2004 and a side pro project. And over the past 19 years, it's grown into a comprehensive global database of mountain peak information. It's also a very popular platform that allows obsessive hikers and peak baggers and climbers to document all of their summit trips. Um, kind of started when Greg was five years old and his father took him hiking in the White Mountains. And then uh, I think Greg told me that was his gateway drug. Um, and by his teens, he was obsessed with 4,000 foot peaks in New Hampshire. Um, in his 20s, he got interested in uh, U.S. state high points. Right. A list he completed on uh, Denali in 1997. Um, since then, he's been hiking, climbing, and skiing all over the world with particular love of wilderness experiences, high prominence peaks in the mountains of Alaska and the Arctic. Um, Greg lives near Seattle. He works as a geopolitical analyst. And uh, when he's not in the office or off in the mountains, he tries to squeeze in work on the peakbagger.com website. Uh, yeah. Greg, thanks again for joining us. Um, yes. So, Here's the thing I love about this. So Greg is this guy behind the scenes who has this super powerful tool that so many of us use. And here he is, you know, kind of silently doing the work. And people don't really understand that he's an avid peak bagger himself. Um, he's not just a software guy or um, a programmer working behind the scenes. He's out there getting after it, all about it, um, all the time. So, um, Greg, before we start talking about uh, peakbagger.com, I want to go back to the White Mountains and your uh, your beginnings. So, I don't know a lot about the White Mountains. I know it's they're kind of socked in between the Adirondacks and the Green Mountains and the Catskills and right, right. technically part of the Appa, Appalachian. I always get that wrong. App, Appalachian Mountains, right? Well, up north they say Appalachian. Down south they say Appalachian. <laughs> there you go. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's probably why I get it confused because um, one of my friends, he's from down south and always corrects me about that. Um so they're um 
so the presidential range that yeah. um, is part of the White Mountains, correct? That's yeah. where Mount Washington is. Yes. Um, I think most people are pretty familiar with Mount Washington. Um, it's the highest mountain in the range, like 6,200 feet or something like that. And for years, I don't know if it still is, but for many, many years, it had the highest recorded wind, something like 231 yes. miles. And, uh, I believe it's also the mountain that most people get killed on in the whole country, too. Yeah, that is a scary statistic. Um, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about what, what you know about that. So um, there's 48 peaks in the White Mountains. Is that correct? Well, there are 48 peaks over 4,000 feet. Uh, oh, okay. A, over 4,000 feet. The most popular peak baggers pursuit in uh, New Hampshire is the, uh, the, the 4,000 footers. Okay. Uh, so tell, tell us about that. So you started when you were five, I think you said, and then at nine years old, you were really kind of focused on uh, spending yeah. time in uh, the White Mountains. And then how old were you when you, you were in college when you started going after the state high points? So what was that kind of transition between the White Mountains and then state high points? And so yeah, I think, take uh, us there. I think that uh, uh, the, the main thing you didn't mention about the White Mountains that makes them kind of unique is they have a hut system with uh, well-apportioned staffed huts where you can get a warm bunk and a, a home-cooked meal uh, for, uh, for, uh, for a fee. And you can hike hut to hut without having to carry all your, your, your camping gear. And that's a very popular pursuit. They have about eight or nine huts, I think. Uh, and that's become, uh, and that's, that's what my family did when I, when I was young, because my parents weren't uh, certain, you know, they weren't big on wilderness camping or anything. So the huts were a great place to take the family you know for nice compromise yeah. yeah and they're spaced about oh five or six miles apart so it's very easy to hike from one each day and climb peaks along the way you know so you know, how how high are the huts at i mean and how big are they uh they're they're pretty large they sleep uh somewhere between uh 30 40 people uh oh wow i think maybe up to 100 in, in some cases uh and they're located pretty high for example the hut closest to mount washington is at five thousand feet so, uh, but, yeah. Uh, so if you're, uh, just give me an example, like the hut at Mount Washington. So you drive to the trailhead, how yeah. far of a hike, like miles would that be oh, to right. these average huts? Uh, from the trail, they're five or six miles apart. Yeah, it, but... it, it, yeah. They're five or six miles apart along the crest of the range. And, uh, from the trailheads along the side, it's usually about three or four miles up to the hut. Uh, and then you can, uh, you know, with a gain of uh, a few thousand feet, you know, maybe two, three, four thousand feet. Uh, Mount Washington is unique too because there's a road to the summit, actually. Oh, right. Uh, okay. And a train. It's a very popular tourist destination. But uh, so, so actually, when they're packing supplies into the hut, they actually drive up to the top of Mount Washington and then pack it downhill to the oh, hut. Pack it down, right? <laughs> <laughs> so that's the, the the quickest way. But uh, but yeah, it's a it's 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 a very popular thing. You know, I mean, the White Mountains are very very popular. And, you know. Uh, uh, it was yeah because uh, of the like, proximity to major cities you got yeah, new york yeah, city exactly. you got boston exactly, exactly yeah but it's a good training ground because the weather is terrible as i mentioned that's the main reason <laughs> people die there and uh the trails are very steep and rocky in many cases it's uh so you really get a good introduction almost to us i mean a lot of the trails are so steep it's almost scrambling really so i didn't even know what scrambling was as a kid i just thought there were there were easy trails and hard trails and the hard trails in the white mountains 
you know, kind of were a good preparation, I think, for when I started venturing out west into the higher and harder peaks. I had sort of a background of this very rough on-trail hiking. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because we have listeners, um, we have listeners who climb in the Alps and live, you know, throughout Europe. We have listeners all over the U.S. and Canada. So I think for people that are climbing, you know, you got people in Colorado, everything's a 14er. They're climbing 13,000 foot and 14,000 foot mountains. So they often, you know, sort of underestimate the difficulty of ranges like the white mountains so it's it's interesting to hear like that was your training ground and that's where you learned to scramble and that was where you honed your technique for you know larger peaks yeah although i mean i I don't want to make it sound super hard because there is a trail to the summit of all those peaks it's a maintained hiking trail just uh the trails are are a little more rugged than you might find out west so yeah 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 but yeah, so, then you uh, yeah uh, so you you started, you got to college, and then you decide yeah. what what made you decide to do the state high points? Had oh. you just done so much in because you moved around and lived in different parts in the Northeast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, from what I yeah, recall, so I went to college in Philadelphia, which was actually well positioned to be able to drive and bag state high points. Uh, so one summer during college, I said, "Okay, see how many I can get." This is before. The internet before the guidebooks before anything uh and i was right. just uh, i think a lot of people said they were just fascinated because they they would look in the rand mcnally atlas and there'd be uh they'd show all the mountain peaks but the highest one in the state was always shaded black a black triangle for the state high point and a couple of the atlases would do the the the, the, the same thing so as someone who was uh, into maps and geography and I actually got a college degree in geography actually so i was very interested in oh, wow. maps and so i was like okay uh, i can uh start getting to state high points. And uh, so I would, um, th- this one summer, I uh, in, during college, I just um, would, would rent a car and go off and do three or four state high points per weekend. You know, with, they're easy to do back east, of course. A lot of them, especially down south, you can drive your car right to the summit, you know, but uh, a few yep. of them, like in the Adirondacks and stuff, you, you have to do a little hike. But uh, yeah, I was able to get about 20 of the state high points up and down the east coast in, in, in one summer. Oh, wow. Okay. And actually, and then, yeah, I, even, um, when, I even ventured into the Midwest, actually. Good, good God. You know, I, I drove out to Indiana and stuff, too. So, And you you moved um, to Seattle in your 30s, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So you were living in Seattle when you finished all of the state high points and when yes, you yes, did Denali? Exactly. Uh, you know, it took me a while to uh, to work my way up to Denali, obviously. Uh, you know, so, uh, you know, I did... Uh, I did uh, I did Granite Peak uh, in Montana as a solo trip, which I don't recommend, and actually Mount Hood too, because uh, people don't people don't 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 recognize how hard it is to find partners to do obscure things like this in the pre-internet time, you know. Oh, uh, for sure. So uh, I was uh, a kid from back east, and I was tr- tr- driving around out west and trying to climb mountains, and I, you know, so I would either have to. How did hire- you do that? Like, how did you find when you moved out to Seattle? How did you start connecting with other hikers and climbers, or was it just so difficult that you just like I'll just do as much of it as I can by myself? Well, actually, uh, when I got to Seattle, I joined the Mountaineers. Actually, and, uh, okay, started taking classes. I had done. Uh, quite a bit of climbing, sort of self-taught and with various uh, mountain guides that I'd, I had hired over the years in, in, in various places. So I was able to join the mountaineers and start going on trips with them and actually started, I 
I, I sort of met a group of people, you know, and I, again, and this is still sort of the pre-internet era, and that was a, a really good way to meet people. Yeah, and and did you um, did you know you were going to complete the state high points like early on? Was that you were doing it when you were back east, and then yeah. did you know, hey, I'm going to do this someday? And you were just okay well, with being I patient would... about it, or did it I sort think, of come uh, to mind later that I'm going to complete think, this thing? I think a lot of peak baggers have a sense of whether a list they're working on is completable or not. And uh, I think uh, I always had a sense that the 50 state high points were completable. I mean, it's all about finale, really. That's, you know, that's really the only one that really requires, you know, uh, it's, it's a whole, it's a couple orders of magnitude more than anything, uh, anything else. So uh, after moving to Seattle, uh, and uh, taking a couple of courses with mountaineers and stuff, I said, okay. Uh, so I just, uh, you know, I used a guide service, of course. Uh, and, uh, I, you know, and again, when you're doing Tenali, a lot depends on uh, the quality of the guide service and the conditions on the mountain and uh, the weather. And if they all just fall into place like they did f- for me, uh, it can be done. And so, uh, and then that's that, that, that of course is the toughest nut to crack on the 50 state high points. And, um, what so, was your training regimen and preparation for Denali? Like, cause uh, it I'm is, not, it is a, a much more difficult effort that you, you know, you just tackle I, overnight, you get ready for. I mean, I remember being on a guided trip and, uh, to actually to Mount Rainier, which actually we did not summit, but, uh, uh, the guides asked us, uh, they asked the various people on the trip what they did to train. And people talked about, oh, I went to the gym and did this or that, or I did this many things. And my training, uh, I was kind of embarrassed because I hadn't done any training like that at all. <laughs> but I had been running around climbing and hiking peaks all the time. And so that's my training. You know, uh, I, I don't I don't specifically train for it in Kibben Peak. And maybe that's why I'm not a world-class athlete or anything. But uh, I try to get out as much as I can. Uh, you know, uh, I, I like being outdoors, um, running, uh, I, well, actually I, I don't run, but I ride my bike, I hike, I climb, I ski. And, uh, when the time comes for a big trip, I just trust that everything I've been doing will have me prepared. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you say that Greg, cause I've, um, I don't know how many podcasts I've done between this podcast and the uh, PNW Peak Baggers podcast. For those of you that are not familiar with that, I also do another podcast that's local for the Pacific Northwest and kind of focused on just that group and its members. If you're interested in being a member, check it out, pnwpeakbaggers.com. So, but it's funny, I've talked to a lot of the local climbers in the Pacific Northwest. A lot of them say that same thing. I ask them that question about like, what what do you do to train when you're not in the mountains? And several say, well, (laughs) that's what I do. I'm in the mountains. I just stay in the mountains. I'm, you know, I might jog occasionally, or maybe I'm a runner. Um, But a lot of people, they just stay after it. They're really active. They're backcountry skiers. They do the hiking, they, you know, they spend all their time in the outdoors and that keeps them prepared. And in fact, you know, I've, I've seen that, maybe you've seen this yourself, but I've seen that where I've been with people that are way more fit than I am, way more fit. Um, I have too, yeah. And, you know, they're strong endurance athletes, they're runners, you know, or maybe they spend a lot of time in the gym, they're really fit, they're really healthy, they have, you know, amazing nutrition, I've got you know, garbage nutrition for the most part. Um, and 
you know, they may move faster in the mountains, um, but when they're done, they're spent, completely spent because they just have, they, they don't really have any, um, you know, the body mechanics that are needed as you're moving in the mountains that don't have the hours and hours and hours of just being out there. Um, so, you know, your, your comment about just staying out there and staying fit by, you know, staying in the mountains and trusting that'll get you there, I think is, is yeah, spot on. Uh... It's, uh, you know, uh, in the, uh, the real climbing community, you know, the people who uh, do, uh, you know, first ascents of hard north faces in the Himalaya and, and, and win all the awards and get featured in the, the climbing magazines, they look down on peak baggers as, oh, you know, <laughs> they're, they're uh, quantity over quality. They're not real climbers. They're just going up mountains by the same old routes over and over again, you know. Uh, and, you know, there is some validity to that, but I think they underestimate fact that peak beggars are out a lot and have experienced a lot of different mountains in a lot of different places and a lot of different conditions and uh you know all that time spent outdoors i think uh means we have probably a a, a, a lot more skills a lot more variety of skills than a lot of the serious climbers actually recognize yeah so i was going to ask you this later in the podcast but you, since you brought it up you have this this great page on peakbagger.com about what is a peak bagger. Right. Um, and you have like the 10 things, you know, that you're a peak bagger if you do this and what, you know, why people climb. Right. Can you talk just a little bit about like, you have the best definition of what a peak bagger is and what prompted you to write that? And, you know, how did you kind of get yourself centered around, here's my view to what a peak bagger is or what most people think of the, uh, uh, yeah, when I, they say a peak bagger. I'm not an expert, of course. It's a very <laughs> personal thing and it's not well-defined, but anyone who, I think it's really all about wanting to be on top, like the name of your podcast, We Like It On Top. There's just something about that. And uh, uh, so you could say that uh, in, in certain circumstances, if you're just trying to get to the top of one peak, you're a peak beggar because you just want to bag that peak. But I think the real meat of the hobby is people working on lists. You know, they see a list of peaks they want to climb. They want to climb as many peaks as possible on a list or, or complete the list. And they get very sort of organized and focused uh, using the data. You know, uh, the, the, I think most peak bagging would be impossible without all the work the surveyors have done to assign heights yeah, and prominences yeah. to mountains. And so that just allows for just unlimited possibilities to structure your hobby around, oh, you know. So a casual hiker would say, oh yeah, I just like being in the mountains. I just want to go for a hike. I want to go visit this lake. That's fine. But a peak bagger, they just, they're outdoors and they're willing to, uh, you know, engage any peak on any level to get to what they want to complete their list. You know, I think that's what really sets people apart. Yeah, yeah. That's great. So before we um, talk about the site itself, like give me your like give me some of your stats. Like you're uh, you um, you're underrated and underestimating. I think you know how much you've really done. You're very humble about this. I mean, you've have how many u unique ascents do you have yourself? Oh, uh, you have to define an ascent, of course. Uh, <laughs> and that's usually because, uh, you know, you can climb a rock in your backyard and call it an ascent. And, you know, uh, so I think a good metric is uh, how many 
Because you're focused on prominence and you're being. Yeah, exactly. You start taking, uh, you start getting into the, the, the prominence and you have a, a much uh, more concrete uh, objective definition of what an ascent is. But yeah, I've, I think I've climbed, uh, oh, probably about 600 or so uh, uh, real peaks, like unique ascents of peaks over uh, with uh, with over 300 feet of prominence is a good cutoff people use to, yeah. to, to distinguish great. a real peak from just a bump on the ridge, you know. So I, I haven't looked it up recently, but, uh, but yeah, I've, I don't have as much as some real peak beggars, people who are re- retired who don't, don't have a job or a family or anything <laughs> are out there all the time. People like Bob Packard, uh, for example, he's, uh, climbed everything, you know, insider. A couple of my friends are, uh, that's pretty much all they do full time is just, they travel the world climbing peaks and, uh, they're, uh, they're, I'm, I'm certainly not in that league, but. Yeah, I've been, uh, I mean, I think uh, it's interesting too. A lot of peak beggars uh, focus on one country or one state even. You know, like I know a lot of people here in Washington who've climbed almost everything in Washington, but very little outside of Washington. Yeah, and right. I know people who've uh, climbed every prominent peak in the U.S., but haven't even climbed a single peak in Canada, for example, you know. And I've always uh, been very sort of internationally focused uh, myself. I like to get out and try to climb all around the world whenever I get the chance, you know, so I've been to the Alps and the Andes and Australia and you know, Japan and places like that, you know, trying to, uh, to, uh, sort of, you know, I, I, I really want to, to make my personal climb list to be as global as possible. I'd say that's, that, that is, that is one of my goals. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Um, and impressive. So, uh, when you look at the ascents that you've done, the, the peaks that you've climbed, mm-hmm. is there a couple in there that stand out to you as being, hey, these were the most challenging for me and most fulfilling? Sure. Um, yeah, oh, what, sure. what would those be? Well, I mean, I think probably the one I'm most proud of climbing is Mount Kenya in Africa. Oh, which yeah. Is, uh, you know, a lot of people go to Kilimanjaro and, you know, thousands of people. Yeah, and Kenya is the second down. highest, right? Yes, it is. And it's uh, totally but Way more difficult. It involves a uh, about a, a 20-pitch rock climb up to 5.7. Uh, uh, and you have to, a lot of people spend the night on the summit. So you have to do that. Uh, they have a little tiny hut up there. And so you have to do the climb with almost a full pack with all the water and everything that you'll need for the night. So, uh you know, and it's just, it's in a fantastic setting. It's exotic. It's just really cool peak. Uh, you know, that's, uh, that, that was, uh, that was, that was a fantastic trip. Uh, I'm also uh, proud of climbing, uh, the, the Monte Rosa two four Spitze in Switzerland. Uh, I did that when I was much younger. And, uh, again, I was, this is in the, the pre-internet era and I was, uh, driving around Europe trying to climb country high points instead <laughs> of state high points. And, uh, didn't have a lot of information and uh, it's quite quite the adventure as a young yeah. guy i imagine yes, exactly so the the weather was bad and i turned back a couple times but eventually i met these uh guys from east germany who had had turned down and so i kind of teamed up with them and together we uh managed to to climb this ridge in a total whiteout to get to the summit of the two four spitze and i was all excited and and then on the way back the uh the whiteout cleared and uh, all of a sudden, I could see that the knife see what edge you ridge, climbed. <laughs> yeah, I could see that the knife edge ridge we had traversed uh, dropped down like a couple thousand feet in both directions. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> if I would have seen right. that, I probably would yeah, have done exactly, it. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> the whiteout was probably kind of helpful, I think, psychologically at least. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, those are just a couple peaks. I know uh, uh, I climbed uh, 
I was uh, fortunate to uh, team up with Eric Gilbertson, who I know was on your podcast. Uh, yeah, he was on here a, a few weeks ago. He's, he's great guy. Much a, pretty much a world-class mountaineer. But uh, the one one trip he and I did was to Mount Fairweather in Alaska, which is uh, oh, yeah. you know, a pretty major peak. And uh, It is. Uh, a lot of people treat it as kind of an expedition where you uh, I've, I've made three attempts on it, actually. Uh, the, the first couple of attempts, we, we would set up camps and then carry up to the next camp and, you know, all that stuff. But the total gain is only about 6,000, maybe 6,500 feet. And so I was there with Eric and he's like, as, as, as soon as we were flown in, he's like, let's just stay hike it. Let's just drive over there and do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you, you have to fly into the base camp, of course, but uh, by, 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 by plane. But from there, it's only about you know it's, it's, i think it's less than six thousand feet which for him is an easy tay hike and so i'm like he's like okay so if we just go we just tay hiked it you know and uh i think uh you know i had climbed a low hill uh in uh in nearby haynes the day before so if you, you look at my my ascent list i climbed this hill and uh you know just outside of the town of haynes and the very next day climb mount fairweather like I mean, how is that possible <laughs> oh, it's, you know so uh but that was uh, that was definitely a memorable trip, and uh, you know Eric has gone on to to, to greater things, of course. But uh, yeah, was, how uh, cool that is was, that? That was a nice trip. Yeah, that's great. Well, as I said, like you know, I think a lot of people. I mean, they may not even know you when they're using the the website, um, and the thought that there's a guy behind all of this that's out there trying to accomplish, you know, the same things that many of the people that use the, use the site and connect with many other peak baggers, um, for great information. It's, it's nice to hear this. I love, I love hearing about your personal, uh, history and your, your climbing skills and your expertise. Um, we are going to jump over and, and talk about the website, um, sure. if that's okay. Um, yeah. So I jotted down um, some statistics um, beforehand. Um, I looked on the website. Um, I'm going to rattle through some of these, and you can correct me. Some of these might be old, um, but it's pretty impressive. So the number of peaks um, that are on the website, um, I saw that's 132,349. Is that correct? Is that still that sounds about right? Close. Okay. Um, peaks outside of the u.s because i think a lot of people um to your point earlier that just climb in the pacific northwest or just climb in the u.s they think it's a u.s database it's not um there's 62,990 peaks outside of the u.s um there's a total of uh just over 3,000 mountain ranges listed um on the database um and here's the thing that i love so i i knew it was in the thousands but had no idea um, how many active users and accounts there are there's forty-two thousand five hundred and sixty-three active accounts and i'm assuming that's somebody well, who's put some activity in probably, last year or... probably about uh half of those are hardly used at all so i think uh the numbers of truly active accounts are probably somewhere in the range of Oh, maybe ten thousand at most. I'd say. Okay, okay. Uh, so the forty-two thousand people went in, yeah, set yeah, up, yeah. and a lot yeah. of people sign up and then forget about it. You know, that's very common. Yeah, yeah. or I, I know there's uh, a lot of people that 
use the site for uh, gathering data, yeah. oh, but sure. they're not logging peaks yeah, themselves. Yeah, exactly. They do it outside. I know several of my yeah. friends that do that. They have a spreadsheet and they're like, ah, I just don't have the time. I don't want to go load yeah, it. Sure. Maybe you can help us explain how you can easily well, do that. Actually, uh, the, the, the one thing I'll say is if you do have a, if like, I mean, that's one thing that uh, I think that's one of the 10 signs you might be a peak beggar is if you maintain <laughs> a spreadsheet or a word file or a yeah, right. you know where you you have a place where you log everything. Uh, if you're thinking about logging your climbs on Peak Beggar and you don't want to start it because you just don't want to do the tedious work of entering a thousand peaks, I've done this service for many people. Is if you email me a copy of your spreadsheet, I can load probably about ninety percent of your. Assets oh wow, that's amazing! So you know, you just send me the the. The, the spreadsheet and I just can do a match. I mean, I've done this for a few very prolific feedbackers. So uh, if, if anyone wants to take advantage of that, that service, and I'm happy to help. Yeah. Be careful. Your email might get overloaded after wow. people, people listen to this podcast, but we'll see. Maybe that's a good thing. You'll get a bunch of new users. Yeah, um, so I also looked and um, there are uh, 4,351 um, active accounts with a hundred plus ascents and there's yeah, that's a 339 active accounts with over a thousand ascents. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's not, it's not exactly Facebook numbers, but yeah, it's uh, for a, for a, a small hobby site. Yeah. That's, 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 that's okay. Uh, uh, you're too funny, man. Like this is a super powerful website and man, I just love, I love it. Oh, well, it's not Facebook. It's not TikTok. Um, but yeah, people love this. I mean, the, I, I, the other stat that kind of blew me away was the total number of ascents that are logged in the database is 2.2 million, mm -hmm. over 2.2 million ascents logged. So it may not be Facebook, but we don't need everything to be Facebook. Um, you got uh, 19,355 photos in the database. Any ideas of how many GPX tracks or trip reports that are loaded? Uh, I could look it up, but yeah, probably, uh, probably I, I know the number of GPX tracks is probably uh, somewhere five or 6,000 or more. Yeah. Wow. That's great. Yeah. Although that's a lot true. of them are people, uh, I don't know how many of them are people hiking Mount Sai over and over again, you know, so. Uh, oh, right, right. Kind of say, <laughs> how many are really valuable. Uh, yeah, yeah. So let, talk, talk about how you built it. Like what what possessed you in 2000? I mean, you were probably keeping your own list like everybody oh, yeah, else yeah. and had a spreadsheet or a Word document or paper or guidebooks or whatever. And then all of a sudden you're like, I should build this thing did you build it for yourself and then, and your friends? And then you're like, Oh, maybe other people could use this. Or did you know, like right away, if I'm doing this, other people are doing it. And, or did somebody come to you? No, no. Uh, it started, uh, like, 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 like most peak beggars, I had a spreadsheet of all my climbs and I also had a spreadsheet of, of mountain peaks just, uh, you know, around the world. Uh, you know, just I and my it's it started as a list of maybe just a few hundred peaks, and they were all on lists. So so things like the New Hampshire four thousand footers, the Colorado fourteeners, the Seven Summits, the Himalaya eight thousand meter peaks. You know, just so I just had this this list of peaks, and I it, eventually when I had this idea, I said, oh, I'll create a website where I'll have peaks and uh, the lists that are on. 
and a peak could be on more than one list. So you could, you know, I could just have, you know, I just sort of had a, a very simple database idea that you have uh, these peaks and, and lists and people could see on the internet what what these lists look look, look, look like. So it was really very simple. And uh, I also thought I could put my climb logs up there too, because I would write a lot of the trip journals uh, back in the day. I would uh, come home from my trips and I would, I would write things up. So I thought I'd, thought I'd host that content. So I didn't really have an idea that uh, you could actually log peaks at first, because actually I started the site back in the, I, I had peakbeggar.com registered back in the 90s, uh, like 97. And so for about... Did you have to pay somebody for, so it's 1997, somebody, everybody's running around buying all the dot-com yeah, names. Anybody. It, it was not, <laughs> it was completely free. It was, nobody had claimed it yet. So uh, <laughs> so I, I, I didn't have to pay anything special. So. So for about six years, the site was kind of lame. It just had, uh, it was just a bunch of static HTML pages and it had some like trip reports. Like I posted my journal, my Denali climb on uh, to my website. And I think that that was, uh, a lot of people were interested in that because there had, you know, there wasn't a lot of content back then uh, on the internet at all. And, uh, oh, here's, here's, here's a guy's journal of his Denali climb. So anyway, <laughs> uh, so in 2004, I guess since the early 2000s, I said, oh, okay, I'll, I'll try to make this a real website, you know, uh, a real like uh, professional. So I, I, I learned uh, basic web technology. And at first, for the first couple of years, like 0405, all it was was, was a, a listing. You couldn't actually log any peaks. So sorry, Greg, you said um, you learned web technology. So you didn't have that skill when you built uh, it and you had to kind of really, teach yourself. No. And yeah, yeah. so yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I had to, uh, I, I had to learn how to write code to build, build. Oh wow, a, a website, and it actually, uh, it did help me in, in, in my professional career too, because I was, uh, was able to learn skills working on this website because I had a lot of passion for it. I was able to, I'd be more more willing to learn, the, you know, more willing to put in the hard work of learning to use this technology when I'm working on my website, and then later at work they'd say, oh, can you design a website? Oh, sure. You know, because I'd already already learned, learned how. To, so it was kind of a good feedback loop there, where yeah, I was able to yeah. uh, to learn that. But the whole thing with logging climbs, uh, I, I I initially put up all my stuff, and then I put up some of my friends' uh, uh, climbs too. I, I asked a few of my friends if they wanted to, and I put up all the climbs with my family members, my brother and my mom and my dad. But there was no way for a user just to log on and add their own stuff because that's really hard. Because all of a sudden, when you have user input coming into your system, it makes it so much harder because you have to check that input. You have to make sure they're 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 not hackers and that the, yep. the data is correct. So that took a long time. And it wasn't until about twenty oh six that I could gradually let people who had expressed an interest to start logging their climbs. And eventually uh, I think uh yeah, I think it was about twenty oh six that just very gradually my 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 friends were able to actually log on and start adding their own climbs. So uh, it was just a very gradual process. And I, I can't say if I had the vision of that at the very start back in, you know, when I first started the whole thing, but it, that's just eventually what it became. Yeah. And um, so you talked about the difficulty of allowing other users. And I know earlier this year, you upgraded to a more robust cloud-based system, right? And in fact, the I remember I, the site was down for a little bit of time and people yeah, were sort of panicked. Oh my God, what happened is I mean, that's that, that to me was the biggest eye opener is that there's, you know, there's, 
the, the writing the code and deploying it and testing it. But the infrastructure issues are uh, what has just been a constant struggle. You know, the site started out on fly-by-night ISPs that, uh, you know, used to exist back in the, 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 the 90s. And, you know, just uh, without getting into all the boring technical details, it's just been a long struggle. I've probably been, I've probably cycled through six different hosting companies, you know, over the years. Uh, because eventually the hosting companies would either uh, be, either my load got too big for them to handle or the company was just really bad and they didn't do their maintenance and so things got slow and it to switch to another one. And I think I finally have a robust cloud-hosted platform now, you know, but it's been a long journey. And uh, a, a lot of times the impetus for a change was the site would just crash because it was, you know, the uh, either, uh, you know, through an error, at the, the hosting company, either they blew it or, or perhaps I blew it. Uh, it's really hard. Hard to say, but uh, I like where we're at now. You know, it's uh, it's fights more professionally set up, although it's still nowhere near. Again, is we're still not talking Facebook here, but you know, it's uh, it's well. Uh, you also don't have the revenues that no, Facebook no. has to be able to invest in this infrastructure and hardware. We'll talk about that because I think it's an important thing that people don't really understand. I know it's important to you personally. You really don't want to go to a fee-based service or a subscription-based service, but um, you know you have some limited advertising. You have donations coming in, right, but right. you know if you want to keep investing and give this powerful tool to more and more users, it takes money. And you know this is a hobby for you, and you probably spent untold amounts of money and thousands and thousands of hours of volunteering to help other people um you know we need to get back and help you so we'll talk about that at the end how how that can happen um so let let's talk about where you're at now and the key features and highlights of peakbagger.com and you've rolled out the new mobile app it's super cool yeah, if you're like if you're not familiar and you're a climber or a hiker and you want to jump on peakbagger.com for the first time what what is the user experience what do you get to do and why would you say take your spreadsheets and take your other places and, you know, check out my well, website. Here's what I'm going to be able to help you with. Well, I don't really want to force anybody uh, <laughs> to do it. If you don't want to, I mean, uh, one change I've seen over the past uh, maybe five years or more is there's a greater emphasis on privacy now. And a lot of people don't want to post their, their data because they're afraid people will find it or troll them or uh, the worst case scenario is, uh, it, you know, uh, theoretically, a thief could go on peak bagger and see you're off in uh, off in South America peak bagging, and he can break into your house, you know, and things like that, you know. So, so there actually is now some privacy control where you can actually hide either temporarily or permanently your assets so no one else can see them except for you and your friends, you know. So there is. Uh, I'm actually. Uh, I told you this. I'm one of those. I have a confidential yeah, yeah. page, um, and the reason for that was. I got just smashed by people sending, you know, people that really, they were up to a whole bunch of reasons. I don't want to get into all of them, but I got hundreds and hundreds of requests, you know, and I just finally, I'm like, God, where are all these, why are these questions? So I, I finally hid them. And I'm not trying to discourage anybody from doing that. For me, it was a little bit unique in that, you know, I have this, you know, I founded this big hiking and climbing group in the Pacific Northwest, PNW Peak Baggers. And 
you know, that's what caused it. That's why I got all the sure, requests. Sure, sure. But yeah, so, uh, but I would say that uh, the reason to do it, I say, is it is, uh, first of all, you don't have to mess with your personal spreadsheet. You know, you can keep it, you can keep it, you can keep it online. And I think uh, people like to see what their friends are up to. If you're in a group of friends and you're all climbing to different peaks, I think, uh, I mean, I think peak beggars are actually pretty good in general about being very respectful and supportive of their friends who are climbing peaks, you know. Uh, yeah, so you, uh, you can pick your climbing buddies and Yeah, exactly. And you, can, you can, uh, exactly. You can uh, choose people as buddies and then you can easily compare your stats against theirs or see what they're up to, you know, and all that. So it's just, it's a way to keep track of what people are doing and, uh, you know, it's, and, and it's good for sort of the friendly competition. And I, as I was, uh, as I was trying to say earlier, I believe that most competition is friendly. You know, I think that uh, if I have a friend who's off climbing K2, say, for example, and I know that's not something I will likely ever do in my life, I, that's great. He, you know, if you can go to that, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's very friendly. I don't think there's, you know, there may be a little bit of jealousy or, or unfriendly competition, but I think for the most part, it's people who love the mountains and who have, have connected with people who also love the mountains. And I think each peak beggar has their own little projects they're, they're working on that together make their sort of profile and the kind of things they're doing unique. You know, it's, you know, there's probably, probably each person on the site has climbed at least one or two peaks that, that, that none of their friends have, you know, and uh, so it just keeps things up, you know, it allows people to go on their own journeys and at the same time feel connected. Yeah. The lists are powerful. So oh, yeah, uh, tell people how the lists work and how, if you're a user on the site, how you can benefit from these lists uh, yeah, the, to, uh, to help you work them. The site has a, a main peak. It, it's actually kind of an insane webpage that lists about 700 main lists. And these are lists that uh, have some official currency of some sort or that have been deemed by me or others to be important like you know obviously ones like the colorado 14ers or the vultures in washington or the the seven summits around the world you know these are you know i have about 700 requests that are well defined and i try to keep those up to date and accurate whenever there's a change uh, but at the same time users can create their own lists uh, there's a couple tools they can use like oh i want to create a special list that i'm pursuing of peaks in my state with this criteria and they can go ahead and create it and then they they, they, can, they can work on that so you know there's a i think there's thousands and thousands of uh of uh, what we what i call personal lists that have been created by other climbers that are uh, you know so there's a uh, you know the the possibilities are just just limitless yeah and you um you have the ability to we talked about loading GPX tracks. You can load tracks. You can create a trip report. Yes, you yes. can put all the stats for the peak, or you can pull down the stats for a peak. Yes, and then you, you're constantly, as a climber on your site, have the ability to look at your own personal stats. So yes. I know what they are. Um, but once you walk us through, like if you look at your your personal um, statistics on Peak Bagger, what what's it going to tell you? Well, it, it really depends on what you enter. Uh, I'd say a lot of people on the site, when they climb a peak, they just—it's possible just to tick the box and I climbed that peak. Put program. nothing in there. At, yeah. at the bare minimum, I usually—I I really try to force people to at least put in the, the date they climbed it. Uh, 
But sometimes people don't even do that. They just check the box without even a date, which I don't prefer. I think a lot of people uh, that first sign on and they were keeping a list before they don't know. They, yeah, like, that's true. Oh, yeah. They're, they're, I, so they're, it's like, I don't know, maybe it was in 94, maybe it was in 95. Well, I don't know well, when I climbed it. Case, I know I climbed it. On, on the site, you don't have to specify a month or a day. I allow yeah. you to specify only a year if that's all you know. So yeah, I had yeah. a few absence from uh, when I was a kid that I had no idea. when. So I just pick a year and say, you know, in 1976, I climbed this hill i don't know when maybe it was 1977 <laughs> it doesn't really matter but uh but after that uh that's kind of the bare minimum i uh you can enter almost as much as you want there's a whole bunch of stuff you can you can uh check boxes for the gear that you use the route conditions you did you could write a trip report you can enter the elevation gain and you know some people really geek out on the elevation gain stuff you know because there's uh there's you know you have the the the, the starting trailhead and the peak but maybe there are ups and downs along the way, and there's a way to enter that, you know, so you can get the total gain, and you can enter the miles, you know, you you, you can enter the weather conditions, you know, all kinds of stuff. So uh, if you want to be complete and uh, log everything, and that gives you more stats, you can look at that. You know, there's uh, the more you enter, the more interesting things you can do. You can do a query of your essence to see, okay, like I can say, for example, which which climbs did I do where I used an ice axe? I can very quickly do a uh, a listing of that because of all my clients, if I did use an ice axe, I checked the ice axe box and, uh, you know, I can, I, I can see that, you know, so I think you get into it, you, you get out of it, what you put into it. If you're willing to do all the work to meticulously and obsessively log every aspect of your climbs, which is, which is completely optional. But again, if you, yeah. you, do, if you do all that, you can see interesting stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's great. What, what new plans and, features can you share with us that you're working on well uh right now it's really uh there's two kinds of work i do it's database work trying to get all the the data for all the peaks in the world correct and accurate and well placed and to add new peaks and i'm doing a lot of work on that these days i'd say that's because there's kind of been a revolution with the lidar data and uh the uh the uh the dem data from uh from satellites and that has really improved the data quality in a lot of parts of the world. And so it's a constant uh, battle to try to get the database as accurate and as complete as possible. Mm -hmm. uh, as far as uh, the actual site uh, features that people use, uh, I think most of what I'm doing is around the edges. I, I know I, I do need to get the, uh, when you look at all the essence for a peak, and you're looking for useful information, the way that page is set up now is not very useful. I want to make it so that you can quickly see which trip reports have a GPS track, which ones have a link to another site, which ones have a long, useful trip report, which ones, you know, uh, you know, have more more information. So I'm just trying to make it easier for people to get information. So, uh, so, and then I think there'll be a lot of uh, improvements. I mean, uh, because it's a side project. I'm well aware that the look and feel of the site. You do have a job, a real uh, job. Yeah, yeah, I, I do have a real job. But uh, <laughs> eventually, uh, I think the overall super, super long-term goal is to, unfortunately, I think it needs to get a little more professionalized, you know, uh, probably needs to be uh, sort of incorporated because, you know, uh, we have uh, thousands of users and it's uh, they're entering their, their data with the expectation that it'll always be there. It's like a utility. and. Uh, mm -hmm. I need yeah. to make sure that uh, 
it can survive. Uh, if I get into a climbing accident, for example, uh, you know, it needs to be able to continue onward, you know. And uh, I do want to just take an aside here, just do a shout out to my uh, my friend and partner, Andrew Kermsey, who uh, he uh, is the guy who wrote the uh, the apps for the site. The, oh, uh, yeah. And they're cool. The they're and, super uh, cool. They're, they're really cool apps. And I'm probably getting uh, or probably over a third of all of the uh, the traffic to my database is through the apps and not through my website. Oh, yeah. And I think it's probably, you know, it's not that many people for whatever reason are even aware they exist. So they're not using them when they find out about it. They're like, yeah. what? I didn't know that. Well, and they load it and then they're like, man, this is great. Like I can look up peaks that are right yeah. around me and I exactly. can. They're, yeah, they're, they're, they're probably a lot of people who use the phone and not the website at all. You know, although yeah. the, uh, the, uh, the phone will always be have a subset of the capability of the of the, the website sure, just sure. For, for, for obvious reasons. But, uh, but yeah, so there are really three, three components to the whole thing. There's the backend database, which has all the peak data and all the climb data that people log. And then there's two front ends. One is the website and one is the, uh, the, the other is the apps. And, uh, so, uh, you know, uh, I know, I know that, that, that Andrew's doing a lot of work on the apps and Andrew's been helping me out on the, the database side too. So we're kind of co-partners at this point. And uh, the website uh, probably in the next five to 10 years will need a complete free write because the technology it's based on might be sunsetting. And, uh, you know, it has a look and feel stuck in the early 2000s. And uh, it seems like, I mean, I, I like the way the website presents a lot of information on each page. Uh, and I think that's kind of uh, one of the, the, the cool things about the site these days. It seems like sites just have a lot of big pictures and you just keep scrolling through stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, I really want to make my pages really have a lot of information on them. Uh, so, uh, but I, again, it, it eventually will have to probably migrate to a new, a new platform. So, yeah. Uh, so how do we, how do um, people who are users on the site, how do they help support you? Like we talked, I talked about this earlier. I know it's important to you. Like you're not big on rolling out a fee for people to use the site, but Hey, we got, you got to make these upgrades. You've got to have other people that are helping you do this. Um, as you make the transitions to rewriting it and making sure that the infrastructure is there and the con- the continuity is there. Um, so, you know, you, you have the ability to make a donation. What are some other ways that you're thinking uh, of how to fund all of this? Uh, that's that's really, I mean, uh, uh, the the PayPal donations are always uh, appreciated, but uh, I may have to uh, uh, start doing more with the advertising. I think, you know, I would rather have, you know, it's kind of a fine line. I don't want to have... Uh, I don't want to have a whole bunch of videos popping up all over the screen and thing, things like like that. But I probably will need to increase the advertising at some point. Uh, and what I may do is, uh, if there's any fees, it would be fees to to reduce the amount of advertising. So, uh, so if I do go to the, 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 that kind of a model where uh, you have to to pay to not see advertising, I would certainly retroactively. Uh, all the people who have donated in the past would, would, you know, have, uh, would, 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 uh, all the, uh, all their donations would go towards that for if this. Yeah, so model. that's kind of like a Spotify or a Pandora model where 
hey, if you come on the free site, you get to listen to music, but you're going to get some advertising. Um, if you don't want to hear the advertising, then pay, you know, X per month and yeah, the advertising right. goes away. Yeah. I, li- yeah. I like, yeah. personally like that. I think it's a yeah. great idea. Yeah, it, it, exactly. Because I, I do not want to have uh, have any functionality in the website limited by uh, by not being able to, to pay, you know. So, uh, yeah. so you know, I yeah. clearly want, I'm very, very committed to, to, to that uh, particular uh, idea. Yeah, so. love it. So, um, Greg, where uh, before we go, I have a couple questions for you. One, you're an avid peak bagger, so this is more about um, advice that you have for people who are just starting out their journey as a peak bagger. Like, do you have any nuggets of wisdom that you've garnered over the? I don't want to say how old you are, but the decades of climbing that you've done. Well, I would say that. If you're if you want to know if you're a peak beggar or not, I don't think there's much advice I can offer because I think it is you're either you are or you're not. <laughs> like uh, you know, uh, so like for example, my wife is not a peak beggar. You know, she like <laughs> if, uh, if I say if, if if I say oh the real summit is over there, I have to go uh, go pushwhack through through the, the woods for 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 five minutes to get to the real summit. She'll just roll her eyes into the back of her head and say, go ahead. I'm waiting here. You know? <laughs> I'll be so, here eating my sandwich. Exactly, exactly. So I think you either are or you aren't. And some people are, they just have this, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's kind of innate. I think that, that, that people either just want to get to the top and, uh, or they just want to be out in the woods. You know, there's that's. I that. love it. I'm going to have to, sorry, I'm going to have to take some literary license with uh, you either are or you aren't a peak bagger. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Might right. have to make a, uh, we like it right. on top shirt that says that. But, uh, but I think that uh, if, if you are a peak bagger and you are wondering how to increase your skills, uh, I mean, if you, if you, you know, I think that if you pick a certain list you're interested in, I mean, obviously, most lists will have some easy peaks on it and some hard peaks and obviously start with the easy ones, you know? Uh, and, uh, you know, if you're new to hiking, new to being outdoors, you know, just, uh, start hiking on easy trails and work your way up, you know, to, to harder trails and then start venturing off trail, do a little scrambling. And eventually you might want to take some classes, either join a local club, like say the Mountaineers or the, the Mazamas or the Appalachian Mountain Club or, or whatever. And they have courses and classes that where you, where you, where you can learn and uh yeah it's just uh and you know i think what happens with most people is they get in with a group of friends who have similar goals and uh and oftentimes similar experiences so they can have a, a, a partner they can uh gradually increase their skills with you know so, uh, so that's, yeah uh, that's great really great good, advice uh, sort of a, a, a community but uh yeah it's uh i think uh, these days uh, uh people are uh you know, there's a lot of people going outdoors now. The uh, the, the pandemic certainly accelerated that, and uh, unfortunately, sure. a lot of these people probably didn't have uh, a lot of experience necessarily. So, uh, but it's the the kind of thing you just if you if you're passionate and you stick with it and you uh, are careful and be be safe and try to find that that the, the limit where you're being challenged, uh, but not too much because you know the, the the consequences can be serious. So uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, take the training seriously and get get yourself prepared. Greg, um, I've loved having you on the podcast today. I hope um, you did a great job, by the way. Um, I hope that uh, some other folks will invite you on because you have a great story to tell. You have a really cool website. Um, And it's amazing the reach that you have. 
Um, so, uh, I don't think you're really a social media guy though, right? Like how do, if people want to contact you, is that all through well, the website? Yeah. If you go to the contact page of com, I have my email address there. You have to actually mm-hmm. physically type it in to put so, so, <laughs> so I don't get spammed too much, you know, uh, but yeah, that's, that's the best way to contact me. Yeah. Okay. Great. Well, um, that's sort of a wrap for uh, this episode of the We Like It On Top podcast. Um, you may have seen me, uh, my voice is a little hoarse. And if you're watching this on YouTube, I'm drinking Diet Coke, not because they're sponsoring us. <laughs> um, it's because like many people right now, I've got a cold and I lost my voice there for really a full week. So um, sound a little bit different. Um, actually, Greg, I appreciate you being flexible because I had to push them out a, a no couple of times no to get this podcast to happen um, after my voice came back. Um, so, yeah, thanks for uh, listening or watching us on YouTube. If you are, if you're listening to us on wherever you get your favorite podcasts, make sure that you subscribe and like. If you're uh, watching on YouTube, like us, give us a comment. It's always helpful. Hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on any future podcasts. Um, I talked about at the beginning of the show that we're not just a podcast. We are a community. Um, we have a website. That's the best place for you to go check us out. Um, www.welikeitontop.com. You'll find some exclusive um, information on that website that you're not going to find on our Facebook group or on Instagram or on Reddit. We're all over the place. We're kind of uh, wherever you need us to be on social media and people are asking us to do more. So we're trying to do that. But I will tell you this, like, um, for PNW Peak Baggers, um, the other group focused on the Pacific Northwest, and we like it on top. Like peakbagger.com is the place we tell people we talk about it a That's lot in our group. Um, we refer people in both groups to Greg's website. So make sure you check it out www.peakbagger.com. Greg, thanks so much. You're I enjoyed welcome. having you on. Um, you being here in the Pacific Northwest, man, you and I got to get out sometime. So oh, I'm sure. going to have yeah. to uh, yeah. go to your website and send you an email and you and I connect and go out. Yeah, if we I'm can not going to invite Eric to join us. I'm, well, I'm not yeah. uh, going to chase him down. <laughs> no, no. All, All right. right. Well, thank you, everybody, for right, listening and uh, have a great day. Okay. Bye-bye.